invite you to just take a moment of stillness. And from this stillness and silence that we share in, and from that, that depth and the darkness of our being, may there rise living words to challenge, encourage and console after the pattern of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Robin and Ian, for the very kind invitation to come and share with you this evening. Um, it's always a profound privilege to stand up and speak, and one I never, ever take lightly. I hope no one ever does. Uh, for those of you who didn't catch me, my name is Warren Hartley, and I'm a lay minister at St Bride's Anglican Church in Liverpool City Centre, although if you can't half tell by the accent, I'm not originally from Liverpool, um, but uh, next, next week it'll be 17 years since I landed in the UK, and uh, yes, yeah, so I blame my husband, Kieran, for a lot of things. One of those is that I, I end up staying and living here, and it's been a wonderful thing. Um, but also, happy birthday, I hadn't realised. What a delight so to come and share with you on that particularly celebration. Those, those, um, being part of Open Table has been one of the most extraordinary miracles of my entire life, I think. Um, and to see it replicate across the country and to come and share with you is something utterly extraordinary. I do not know anything else that exists like it anywhere. And so what you are doing here is incredibly special. I've been part of that um, community in Liverpool from the very beginning. I was just a punter in the pew, though. And just seeing how the Spirit spreads those seeds is amazing. There is another reason I also value the opportunity to, to preach or share, and it may sound a little odd, but have any of you ever had the experience when somebody asks you a question about something you've never given any thought to, and you suddenly find that you have very strong opinions about it. Can you relate to that experience? And you find yourself answering the question and you're surprised to hear yourself saying what you are thinking. It's like you needed that question to unlock something that is lying with inside of you. I have that all the time. I have a very chaotic mind. And um, my thoughts and feelings are swirling constantly. So when I have a sermon to prepare, it makes me stop, sit down, read and reflect. And oh, I value that opportunity. And then I'm continually surprised by the joy of the discovery of that process. Of late, I have been particularly reflecting a lot about what it means to be a prophet. What image does that conjure up for you, that word, prophet? Growing up, for me, and I grew up in a very conservative and fundamentalist understanding of Christianity, and what it meant to me back then was one who predicted the future, especially predictions about the second coming of Jesus. And so much ink was spilt, and dare I say, hot air was expelled, attempting to understand books of Daniel and the books of Revelation and attempting to put a year on it and all of the other things that came with that kind of understanding. 
I think I now rather see that as something of a little bit of a waste of time. Actually, I think it leads us up the garden path entirely and astray from the messages of what a prophet really brings to us. I want to suggest tonight that a prophet instead is one who sees clearly. That a prophet is someone who sees clearly. A prophet is someone whose eyes have been opened and can see to the heart of what is really going on. And then even more importantly, speaks out and speaks truth to power. As John did in that reading, he spoke clearly. And John the Baptist was one such prophet. It's also very curious to me that both the Gospel of Mark, the very earliest of Gospels ever written, and that of John, the very latest one, both of them start their narrative with the story of John the Baptist. Matthew and Luke don't, they start with the birth stories. In Mark and John, Jesus enters the story already an adult. We hear almost nothing or nothing at all about his childhood. So clearly, John the Baptist was an integral part of the Jesus story and so important that in fact, for two of the gospel writers, the story starts with John. As an interesting aside, some scholars claim that Jesus was a disciple of John and was formed within John's um, Baptist movement and became aware of who he really was, culminating in that moment of Jesus' baptism when he heard God say, you are my beloved child. It's a fascinating theory, and I'll leave that for you to explore sometime yourself. But let's for now return to the story. John has attracted the interest of the religious leaders who have come to question him. Never a good thing. But, from, but uh, from their perspective, John is strange, dare I even say a little queer, and has a mass a, a following with a very populist message. But for a moment, put yourself in the religious leader's shoes. The country they are living with is a hotbed of politics, violence and power. They are living under an occupying force and the religious and civil leaders of these conquered people had worked really hard to create some semblance of peace where they could keep some kind of vague self-determination and freedom of religion. And here comes some upstart stirring up the people. Might he be fermenting an uprising, especially amongst people who have been so downtrodden. If you know anything about the Roman Empire, you know how appallingly they treated the poor and how so many occupying forces do treat those under them. And so can we see similarities perhaps in our own time in different places? And so the leaders question John and they ask him some good questions really. Ones I'd rather like an answer to myself. Who are you? Why are you doing what you're doing? All quite reasonable questions. Or if I could put it in the modern paraphrase, just what is it you're playing at? And John doesn't give, well at least to me, very satisfactory answers. He starts by saying who he is not. 
and then quotes the prophet Isaiah, saying, I, in one other translation, I am the voice of one crying in the, in the wilderness. At first glance, it strikes me as a rather strange quote to use. But then John is not exactly a conventional person. He stood out, wearing clothing of camel hair, had a very peculiar diet, and was somewhat prone to embarrassing public displays of preaching to people before dunking them underwater. It's the kind of public spectacle that would make me roll my eyes today and stay well clear. Perhaps I might even call the local psychiatric unit to see if somebody had, was missing. But this is the fascinating thing about a prophet. Somebody who I think is something of a modern day prophet herself, Nadia Bowles-Weber once said, well, that the truth may set us free, but first it will make us weird. Very true. A prophet is someone who sees clearly and so therefore cannot and does not speak the same language as those who criticise them. The prophet has moved way beyond that space. And they can, they're not just not even speaking the same language, which I think is why we get these peculiar answers from John back to the religious leaders. They're asking very straight down the line questions, and he's coming at it from a completely different angle. So John has seen the truth of his particular religious tradition, and that truth looks back into ancient traditions, and not just in the way they were always seen, but sees them afresh. And this has set him free from the constraints of those who attempt to police its boundaries, and that makes him dangerous, at least to the authorities anyway. John's identification with the quote, the voice crying in the wilderness, is so deeply embedded within the Jewish tradition of liberation and justice, we still quote it in our Christmas services. And this quote talks about upending hierarchies and power and calling people to prepare the way of the Creator in a somewhat revolutionary way. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. This is an illustration of liberation and power reversals. And that is always uncomfortable hearing to those in power. I am so often struck by many who read the story about John the Baptist as one where he was preaching personal morality and urging people to turn from their individual sins. But have you ever thought that that was the same message that the religious authorities were teaching? And so why would they be uncomfortable with what John's teaching? If John was merely teaching about personal morality, the religious authorities would be coming along and thank you, well done son, thank you for doing the job for us. You're saving us, you're saving us a bit of effort. Because you see, sin is never merely about individual wrongdoing. It's about collective and structural systems, which is what the prophets always rail against. John is being prophetic and speaking about a whole new order that is to come. And that would make you nervous. So in this season of Advent, this word um, is defined in many different ways, but one particular um, dictionary uses the description as a coming into being or use, a coming into being or a coming into use. 
And this is why the readings about John show up in the lectionary in the weeks leading up to Christmas and the season of Advent. We are not just passively awaiting that coming into being. We are being called to actively, as active participants into this revolution of truth and peace and non-violence. And if that doesn't make you nervous, you're not taking it seriously enough. I am by nature a very quiet, unassuming person who used to just want to fit in and not stand out. Yet once I'd seen the truth and my eyes were opened, I could never unsee and I could never be the same again. Coming out was part of that process for me. And I think as LGBTQIA plus Christians and allies, our mere existence is a prophetic act. We are not what people think that we are. And so we need to speak our identity of who we are. But not in a way, similar to John, not in a way that makes us greater than anyone else, but that we too speak of the one who comes after us. Jesus, whom we've each of us have met in our own roads to Damascus, and whose love that we have experienced and is what brings us today. None of us is ever the same after that encounter with truth and love. John seems to be baptising without a licence. His questioners seem to think this shouldn't be unless something truly remarkable is happening. John says something truly remarkable is about to happen. And isn't it truly remarkable in our day that LGBTQIA plus folk like us here at Open Table are able to find words of life and encouragement in the Bible and a book that many of our siblings have used against us. Tonight's readings for me underscores the importance of knowing who you are and who you are not. The religious leaders strongly desired to put a label on John. Well, if you aren't this, are you that? Are you, are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? And it echoes the way many want to classify us in very binary ways. You're either lesbian or gay, and there's nothing in between. You're male or female, and there's nothing in between. Well, life's always a little bit more complicated than our binaries try to make us look at. And sometimes even LGBTQIA people can show the same intolerances for those who come out differently. I want to ask how we can testify to the light without the temptation to believe that we are the light. The metaphor of the light lends itself to showing things as they are, and we should then test and question those conclusions. The light guides and us in the quest for truth, wisdom and liberation, and this can embolden us. John Bell, who is also the patron of Open Table Network, once said at Greenbelt in August 2017, those of us who have known the love of God cannot stay silent. As we approach the season of Advent, may I pose you some questions to think about. What are you waiting to come into being? What are you waiting for to come into being? Who are you? Who are you becoming? Can I be a voice in the wilderness 
for LGBTQIA plus people. But this all takes courage, something I far too often lack. And yet it has grown in strange ways. 17 years ago, if you'd told me I'd be standing here preaching, I'd have laughed at you. So where does this kind of courage from? I think it comes, well, Maya Angelou says it much better than me, and I don't think I've ever preached a sermon where I've not quoted Maya Angelou, and I don't think I'm ever going to change that particular habit. But Maya once said, I believed that there was a God because I was told it by my grandmother and later by other adults. But when I found that I knew not only that there was a God and that I was a child of God, when I understood that, when I comprehended it, more than that, when I internalised it and ingested it, I became courageous. So let's be courageous. Having known the love of God, we cannot stay silent. Amen.